Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have the privilege of hosting Dr. Ellen Stang. She's the founder and CEO of Progeny Health. Dr. Stang is a board certified pediatrician, a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and a recognized leader in improving care management and health outcomes for premature and medically complex newborns. Taking an entrepreneurial approach in an industry that is historically innovation averse, she founded Progeny Health in 2003 and built the business literally from the ground up. In today's podcast, we're going to chat about her thoughts and philosophies around helping define a good strategy using social determinants of health and technology to help these uh, this NICU niche. And so through the deployment of her company, she's been able to realize uh, incredible results. Progeny Health's comprehensive specialty-focused utilization management and case management solution is a rare example of the healthcare innovation that has delivered irrefutable value to infants and their families, providers, and payers alike. To date, the company has managed over 60,000 NICU cases in over 1,400 hospitals in all 50 states. It's proven and effective, and we're going to talk about the solution here today, but more importantly, how we take care of this community of patients. So without further ado, I want to open up the microphone to, to Ellie to uh, spend some time with us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Saul. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, did I leave anything out in the intro that you wanted to fill in the blanks with? No, I think you uh, you covered it all. So thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. So, so Dr. Stang, tell us the why. What got you into healthcare to begin with? So, you know, I, I uh, thought about that a lot. And, and uh, you know, at a very young age, uh, around 14, um, I realized I loved science, loved biology, uh, and, and started volunteering at a hospital um, as a candy striper. And that's really oh, nice. um, what started my interest in healthcare. Um, and, and worked there uh, not only on the patient floor, but in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. They actually allowed me down into the ER. Uh, and I loved how you could help people during their greatest time of need um, and, and help heal them. And so that really started my interest at the age of 14 in healthcare. Uh, and from there, just worked really hard as a student uh, through college and, and med school um, to realize that. So you, you, you got into the healthcare profession, you served as a, as a frontline physician for many years, and then you made the shift. You got in the industry. Tell us a little bit more about that and why. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those stories of, uh, I uh, trained in Philadelphia, um, did my residency at St. Christopher's Hospital for Children, and had um, the opportunity upon graduation to help found a private practice with a, with a dear friend of mine. And so we were in practice for um, six or seven years loved what I was doing in private practice, um, but had the opportunity to interview uh, in a managed care plan. And so really loved what I was doing, had, had no interest. They called three times and a friend said, let's, you know, just go check it out. So long story mm-hmm. short, um, became very interested during that interview process in how you could affect the health of populations. And mm-hmm. so left private practice, went into managed Medicaid. And in a very short period of time, I was there about five years, I saw a very broken system. So this is back in, you know, 2000 and um, was working in managed care and thought, you know what, I'm 40 years old. I see an opportunity to uh, make a difference in a really high risk population. Um, At the time, care coordination, care management didn't exist. Social determinants weren't being addressed. And I saw that whole um, program so needed in the marketplace. And so 
um, quit my job, um, sat in a basement and founded a company and, um, <laughs> you know, no money, no mentors, no nothing, wow. just a vision in my head of what could be. And, you know, here we are 16 years later, um, with just incredibly talented people, uh, in the company, helping me move the mission forward. That's amazing. That's amazing, Ali. And, you know, you, you, I got to applaud your, your courage for, for, for doing that, you know, and for seeing the, the opportunity in that brokenness. Uh, and, and so, gosh, it's been over a decade now. You guys are making some big, big traction here. If you had to summarize what the hot topic that needs to be front and center for the leaders listening to this podcast today, what would you say it is? So, you know, I think today and, and you know, over 16 years, uh, healthcare has evolved. Um, I think hospitals, providers, health plans are doing a better job at working together. Um, because managing patients takes a village and uh, their needs during the inpatient setting are a lot. And we have incredible talent in this country, certainly in the NICU, uh, managing patients to great health outcomes. But upon discharge, um, the setting that they're discharged into matters. Their ability to interact and connect with the health system is really important. And when there's barriers in place, that ultimately affects health outcomes. And so, you know, I think the message is, we all need to take a very holistic look at the patient. Uh, it's not just their clinical diagnosis, it's how does that diagnosis affect their life? And outside of their medical teams, are they getting what they need to continue the good work clinical teams have done to keep them healthy, that they are able to maintain that in the outpatient setting? And so, you know, my big drive as a company is how do we take a comprehensive um, look at patients and give them what they need and help them access the system um, so they, they can lead their best life. I love it. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's critical that we think about, uh, what, what, uh, Dr. Stang is highlighting here for us, the social determinants and, and especially in the, in the NICU population. I mean, I know I probably shouldn't say especially cause every, everybody matters, yeah. but look at the end of the day, these kids can't take care of themselves. So, you know, I, I, you know, Ellie. I think it's great that you're 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 uh, you're fo hyper focusing this social determinants discussion to the NICU. That's where it becomes actionable, and maybe you can dive into some of the the tech enabled uh, things that you guys are doing to drive outcomes. A couple examples, maybe. Oh yeah, ha happy to do that. And so um, we have a platform in the company called Baby Tracks, and mm -hmm. you know, over 16 years, you learn a lot. And we've taken a database with massive amounts of information and um, done regression models and built into our platform intelligence. So we've got today about 125 plus full-time NICU clinicians and then another over 100 employees doing other various very important uh, jobs in the company. We've got a very large IT team. Mm -hmm. um, but where we are today is we can now put clinical diagnoses and clinical attributes of a patient into our system and we know their risk of a readmission. Hmm. And we know um, when to reach out in the course of a hospitalization to be very proactive working with the hospitals um, so that when the babies are clinically ready and ask the right questions, that the babies, the, the parents are educated, whatever needs in the home and supports are in place so that when the baby's ready to go home, they go home. And then there's that safety net post-discharge. But our platform um, has really allowed us to be very, um, interactive with hospitals to um, 
know when to ask patients uh, and families the right questions, how to educate them, and then certainly to know upon discharge which patients are most likely to be readmitted and kind of double down on that education of families and increase the supports so that those babies lead uh, certainly a healthy first year of life and beyond. So it's really um, knowing uh, who to reach out to who's most at risk when that ultimately improves the health outcomes uh, and really adds tremendous value. We uh, now, just a, an example is when we provide case management as a company, and we've always done this, uh, mm -hmm. the first things we ask families are about food, clothing, shelter, and seeing if there's any domestic risk in a family. Yes. And, and if we find, for example, food insecurity, uh, our case managers, while they have a parent on the phone, are typing in their address, 111 Main Street in Detroit, Detroit, and up in front of my case manager pops validated food pantries and resources in their neighborhood. And we warm transfer them to that resource live while they're on the phone to solve those problems. That's how you solve problems to move people to better health outcomes. We've learned over time years ago, we would hang the phone up, do some research and call them back. And sometimes you never connect with them again. So yeah. you really need to solve problems actively while you have people on the phone. And when you get those pillars of their life uh, aligned, then you move them to well child checks, immunizations and education um, to drive even better health outcomes for the family. But if you have hungry children at a table, they're not going to hear you about well child checks and immunizations because they have to solve what's in front of them. And so that's really where it takes a village. And there are tremendous resources in every community in this country, willing and able to help people. We just have to connect those dots. So that's wow. really how technology helps us solve that. That's uh, incredible work. And I, <laughs> I just got goosebumps when you're telling that story Ellie, and, and just, I, I, I thought about it. Uh, I volunteered a couple months ago at a school as part of a volunteer project where it was in Tampa, Florida, and it was, a, you know, a, a, an urban neighborhood. And we were working with their food program. They basically, they were telling us that they have a 90% graduation rate compared to 60% because they're able to give these kids food once a week like to take home a dry exactly. bag and a wet bag. And it's just like, wow. You take you know, it for granted. And, yeah. and, you know, when you look at the data, one in eight Americans um, has food insecurity. Hmm. And so you walk down your street yeah, right. every day and somebody's having a challenge. And so, you know, these things are solvable. Yeah. Um, and I think every small company like Progeny, if we all did our part, we'd solve this. This is very solvable. And there are lots of people focused on um, solving this issue. Uh, it's critical. It's critical to life. It's critical to education. And it's certainly critical to health outcomes. If you don't have good nutrition, you can't heal a body. Um, and so it's it's really just one of the ways that um, it takes a lot of us to approach supporting a family to lead to better health outcomes. Love it. So Dr. Stan, tell us about an example of how you guys have created results by doing things differently. So, um, you know, great question, Saul. And you know, when I founded the company in 2003, mm -hmm. um, as a doctor, there were um, adversarial relationships between health plans and hospitals. Uh, managed care was, you know, well underway, but people weren't working together as teams. And right. so what I saw is, you know, if you have conversations proactively with hospitals up front, so, so what we do today is we have a team of three. We've got neonatologists and pediatricians. We've got NICU nurses talking to hospitals about care plans, and we have case managers talking to families uh, about the baby education and that post-discharge plan. And so we basically have a team of three. 
working directly with hospitals. And so the system when I entered it um, was very fragmented and I, I would say adversarial. And our model is very collaborative. We are a, a majority of clinicians on this end. I'm a doctor. So I know um, the challenges and, and how stressful it is in a NICU environment to take care of really sick kids. So how do we reach out, understand care plans, um, and make sure parents are educated so they can make decisions to remove any inefficiencies in the system quickly? Um, and when babies are medically re ready, is there equipment in the home? Um, health plans provide a lot of benefits breast pumps and other things. We help coordinate all of that. So when the hospitals say, you know what, the baby's ready to go, the home and the family's educated for that discharge and there's no delays. And so the result of that is babies have a shorter length of stay in the hospital. And because we have a safety net, so we have 24 seven dedicated case managers to families. So they have the same case manager from birth through the first year of life. This is not a call center. You'll mm -hmm. have the same person working with you through the first year you develop a relationship they get to know their case managers and they stay very engaged and enrolled in the program. Um, we have very high, high levels of member satisfaction, but when you put those supports in place post-discharge, parents will call us, ask questions, um, and to, to meet their needs during that first year, rather than running to an emergency room. The last thing you want, unless there is an emergency, is a baby who's premature um, or, or medically complex coming into an emergency room if they don't need to be. And if they're better off in their primary care doctor's office, because um, emergency rooms are petri dishes of infection. Mm -hmm. And these babies are at risk. They're immunologically at risk. And certainly if there's a medical emergency, absolutely. But if there's not, you want them in the environment of their primary care doctor who knows them well um, and will continue to make sure that they have what they need and, and uh, shots, immunizations, and other things so that they lead a healthy first year and beyond. Um, so the results we've been able to produce are babies go home sooner. So there's lower costs in the inpatient setting and readmission rates due to the, the hard work of our case managers um, with families have been reduced by up to 50% in that first year of life. But the model is really doing it the right way. Proactive conversations with doctors and nurses in the hospital and working very closely with families. And we interface with families while the baby's in the hospital. So parents at their kind of greatest period of vulnerability are hearing from us. Look, mm -hmm. we've got this, we're gonna work with you and we're gonna educate you so that that baby um, does well and helps support you through a very difficult time. So it's really wrapping um, supports around these families and working very collaboratively with hospital that drives our outcomes. And it's the right way. It's really working in collaboration. This is great. And, and, and so I, I was wondering when your support staff reaches out to the families, is, is it uh, via phone? Is it a, like a FaceTime type of Skype? Uh, interaction or is it in person? What does that look like? Yeah, great question. So it's it's all telephonic, but they can Skype. Okay. So parents have if they wanted to. Okay. Yes. And we actually have a mobile platform as well. So we've got a mobile app and it's got care plans on it and parents, some people, if they like it, they've got it. If not, they can talk to our case managers. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Um, most people choose the phone calls. Um, they've got all those okay. other opportunities, Skype and others, um, and using the mobile platform. But people like to hear that warm voice uh, and that friendly voice on the phone. And like I said, we're available to them around the clock, um, but it is telephonic. Um, and so we work, hospitals have, most hospitals have great teams uh, inpatient and have discharge planners. And so our case managers are working very closely with a lot of those teams in the hospital. Um, so we're coordinating together to make sure that family has what they need. Um, but we have, uh, amazingly, when we reach families, Health plans uh, many times have uh, challenges enrolling people. 
in their care management programs. We've got, when we, when we catch people and we do it in the inpatient setting, we're enrolling many times over 80 to 85% of families in our program, which is really high when you mm-hmm. look at the industry. Um, and you look at member satisfaction and we get the highest levels of member satisfaction. Part of that, I think, is very talented people that know how to, to um, talk to people where they are and who are highly seasoned clinicians. Um, but you're also meeting families at, their, at, at a very emotional period in their lives. And so we're able to connect them and say, look, we're provided on behalf of your health plan and we're here to help you through this. Um, and so, so families need that support. It's scary. You know, everybody wants a healthy child. And despite many parents doing everything right, sometimes a baby can come too soon or medically complex. And it does take a village to bring them to a healthy outcome. Um, and the hospitals and nurses do a fantastic job. We work nationwide during a very stressful period of time um, in, in the life of a family. You know, I think uh, making some great points and some great examples, Ellie, uh, it, it sounds like you guys have come a long way, 16 years and obviously, these things didn't happen without any bumps in the road. I'd love if you could share with the listeners maybe a setback that you guys had and what you learned from that that's made you better. So, you know, gosh, I could, I could probably go on endlessly about things <laughs> probably didn't do well. And, uh, you know, I'm very aware of, of, you know, what I know, what I don't know. But as a company, I, you know, I could certainly point a couple of things out. Um, in the very beginnings of the business, I thought, you know, gosh, couldn't we just have one person working with the hospitals and working with the families and it's the same person. Um, and there is so much work to be done from a utilization management perspective, working with hospitals and from a case management perspective, working with families, that really does take two people. And mm-hmm. so we learned as we evolved that we, we called a case management specialist and it really need to be split into two jobs because they're both incredibly busy and to do them well, you can't have people distracted. You need yeah. full focus on working with hospitals, full focus on working with families. And so we learned very early on, those are two really unique, very important jobs that need full attention. And so split that out. Um, I think one of the, the second things that we learned, um, and I, I wish I would have learned this sooner, is as we've grown as a company, you know, I was the person interfacing with health plans um, to, to, um, who are our customers to be the person selling and working with them. And... Uh, we really learned, we hired our first salesperson probably five or six years ago. That's mm-hmm. an incredibly talented professional with a unique skill set that helps move you along much faster than someone like me as an entrepreneur could do. So I, I wish we would have hired more salespeople sooner mm-hmm. because they're incredibly talented uh, in, in helping us um, sign up more people to work with our services. So I would say that's probably the second thing. Um, so those are probably two things we've learned along the way. Um, and, you know, you're evolving as an organization. We always look at how can we do things better, stronger, faster, and trying to stay ahead of, of the game in, in what we do and make sure that we're always, that we've got a quality product that's doing our best work, working with doctors and nurses, and certainly our best work with families. And so we are always in innovation mode here. Um, and it's something that will continue to evolve as a company. We never stop trying to make ourselves better. Love that. Yeah. And you know, the one example that you mentioned, Ellie, is when you have the, the, the family on the phone, and you're telling them, you're not just telling them about these uh, uh, food pantries, you're connecting them right away. I'm sure that's a distinction that took months, maybe years to realize. uh, It's a small change that has led to 
much better results. Saul, it's a huge change. And you know, it's interesting. Um, and one thing I didn't mention is years ago, uh -huh. um, we began case management at NICU discharge. So we had a, you know teams working in the inpatient setting. And when the baby was discharged, our case managers would call the parents and say, hey, we're here to help you with your case manager. And the family said, well, where were you? We said, well, what do you mean, where were you? I needed you when the baby was in the hospital. And this big aha moment, you know what? You're right. Where were mm -hmm. we? And so probably eight years ago, pivoted the model to say, you know what? They, parents need us during that inpatient setting as an additional support. And so that's why we now reach out during the hospital setting and then are helping to solve those social determinant problems as soon as we can. Wow. Um, but it's, you know, those are the things you learn and you learn by listening to the voice of your customers, mm -hmm. by listening to doctors and nurses and also listening to your families. So um, that helps us innovate, but, but there's lots, you know, you could go on about how you change as an organization, but you also learn as you add more and more talented people to the company and they bring their great ideas and ways that they did things in other places that just helps make you stronger. Love that. Yeah. And so as you, as you look in the rear view mirror, what would you say is, is the most proud experience you've had to date? You know, I thought about that a lot and, you know, I don't know if I could focus on one thing that makes me the most proud as a leader. I would say, um, in general, I am so excited when I see people come to this company and, and we now hire people based on our core values. Mm -hmm. You know, are you selfless? We will always do the right thing um, for, a, for an infant and their family. And we are focused on, um, you know, certainly passionately driven by a greater, a greater cause, which is to improve the health and well-being of the next generation. And we want to do that kind of, that's our why, one baby at a time and one family at a time. And so people that come to this company, we don't hire if there's not a passion in their belly for what we do. And, uh, you know, the, the majority of the time we get that right. And when people, and, and when you look at our, who we're supporting and who we're serving, these medically fragile kids and these infants and their families, it's, it's in my mind, pretty easy to get behind that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's great to see people in this company focused on that to improve health outcomes and make sure that we're all aligned. And so I would say my happiest moment as a leader is to sit in rooms and be called into meetings and see all these smart people with their great experience focusing on making us stronger as a company. And it's just, you know, I used to wear all these hats. Years ago, it was all me. Mm -hmm. And when you start out as one, and then you're at 230 strong. It's great to see really talented people focusing their efforts on making us better. So we have better quality, better programs for people and that we do it right and we get it right. Um, that, that really, really fuels my passion as we continue to move the company forward. Wow. That's definitely something to be proud of. And if you think about, you know, that moment, Ellie, where you were sitting there and you made a decision in your basement. <laughs> like, I'm going to do yeah. this. I'm going to affect populations. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know, if you guys are guys and gals are listening to this right now, maybe you're in that moment and, uh, and take, take, uh, you know, take this courage uh, from today's interview with Ali and, and take that leap because it does take a village to, to, to care for patients, uh, whether it be in the NICU or, or beyond. So thanks for that inspiration, Ali. And so tell us about what the most, uh, uh, exciting project you're working on today is? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there is so much going on um, in the business now. And, you know, I think the things that get me um, most excited is 
is really um, working deeper with families, again, around social determinants and using technology to help solve problems. And you know, the projects that we're working on today um, that are exciting are moving into some adjacencies. And mm -hmm. so in, in working with, with payers, um, we see that sometimes we'll be talking to hospitals and understanding care plans and authorizing services. And then many times the hospital is not paid appropriately or there's a disconnect in a small percentage of time with their claim systems. Yes. And so we are now um, getting into payment integrity. Sure, hey, everything we talked and agreed with the hospital, we make sure that when claims come in, that's what's paid so that they're paid quickly and accurately. And so that there's not this, you know, it's inaccurate and kind of back and forth between hospitals and health plans. So we've now moved into a payment integrity model that's rolled out this year um, and is gaining great traction to just get it right. Mm. Um, and so that's something that we're evolving into as a company um, and also becoming um, much more involved in um, how do we make sure that all of our programs and services are focused on the consumer and the family. So it's great to develop all the things that we're doing as a business, but at the end of the day, when all these great ideas come in and are, and are kind of pitched at some of the boardrooms in this company, I always come back and say, look, is this project, is this program at the end of the day going to move this baby to a better health outcome mm. and this family to a better health count? And if it's not, then is this where we should be focusing our time? Because there's so many great ideas out there, but we are here to make sure that we move premature and medically complex babies to a better health outcome. And so you always want to come back to the reason why you exist as a company. And, and I certainly love Saul, you know, as you had said about people who might be out there listening to this, who have a great idea. Um, it can be overwhelming to think about quitting a job and sitting in a basement and starting a company. Um, but my feeling is there are so many problems out there that need to be solved. Um, you need innovation and you need entrepreneurship to make that happen. And there are so many people out there trying to help entrepreneurs, many more than existed when I was founding the company. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of people out there willing to help. So if you believe you've got a great idea that can solve a problem, stick with it. You'll figure it out. You won't get it right out of the gates. It's hard. But if you know that what you have is solving a problem, it, to me, it's tenacity and perse perseverance that builds a business. It's sometimes... You know, I, I'm sad when I talk to entrepreneurs and I find out a couple of years beyond that they, they walked away from a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, you can overcome some of those hurdles and see 16 years later, believe me, it, it's, it, you get beat up along the way. <laughs> you do. And, and there are some bad days. They're really hard days. But when you come back and think, why do we exist as a company? And what are we doing here? There's always a way to solve a problem. And we've been fortunate to have outstanding clients and customers that believe in our mission, it doesn't take much for us to walk into a boardroom and you get buy-in because people are like, wow, we don't do this as well as this. We really want a company that this is all they focus on. And there's there's so much um, in, in customers, so many of our health plans want to do right by these babies. And this is a niche population to manage. And um, But to not give up, uh, it, it's hard. And there are days that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is going to make it. But when you stick with it, somehow you get there one step at a time and one day at a time. So it is worthwhile. It's hard. Um, but when you have great customers and you prove what you're doing, it slowly falls into place over time. And here I am. I'm still standing 16 years later, and there still is so much to be done. <laughs> I love that, Ellie. And a great message for for all the listeners, uh, you know, stick with it and uh, don't get distracted. Make sure that the 
the the idea that you decide to roll with, you're fulfilling it. The the weapons of mass distraction will always be there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so make sure you stick always. with it. Um, uh, so so love the message here, Ellie. And getting close to the end of the podcast, what we have next is the lightning round, followed by a book you recommend to the listeners, and then we'll be done. You ready for it? I'm ready. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? So, so I think today when I look at all these fantastic companies, payers, hospitals, doctors, nurses, focusing on the consumer um, and really how do we move, how do we make it easier for people to get what they need, right place, right setting, um, but to really focus proactively and collaboratively on making the individual's interaction with the healthcare system easier. And I really think that's the best way to improve health outcomes. Love it. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? So I, I think, um, you know, the biggest pitfall to avoid is if you, especially as an entrepreneur, you go down a path mm-hmm. and yeah, and it's not working out to be quick to pivot. You know, it's like I said, we had one person doing two jobs and, and our staff were saying, hey, this isn't working. So you got to listen to your team. Mm-hmm. You've got to really look at what's going on and not be afraid to pivot your model. You might not get it right out of the gates listen to your customers, listen to your employees, and don't be afraid to pivot and move in a different direction. Because if you're too hard-headed to say, no, this is what I built and this is the way it's going to be, you're never going to evolve as an organization. Love that. And how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? So, you know, certainly for us, it's, again, listening to customers, listening to patients, listening to doctors and nurses. But for me, I have the privilege of working with a private equity firm, um, Sunstone Partners, um, who understand tech-enabled healthcare services company, and they have that purview of the marketplace and where it's moving in healthcare. And I have that additional voice to advise us and say, look, we have to make sure this part of the program is more robust. Should we be adding more and investing more in this particular area? So I think, um, you know, certainly the way to stay relevant is to make sure that your program is meeting the evolving needs of the marketplace. And you do that by listening to your customers, to families, to doctors and nurses, and certainly to advisors that you have. Um, and so again, it's, it's really taking all those voices in to make sure you're moving in the right direction. Great message. And uh, how about the one area that drives everything at Progeny Health? So uh, I certainly think your employees, uh, that, that's your greatest strength. The talent that you have working every single day in the company is the strength of your business. And so we try and do all we can to empower employees to recognize and to reward them and to make sure we continue to develop programs to mentor them, to be their best um, self, to help them move along their career paths. So really, we are very focused uh, every year on making sure that we are providing a great work environment for our employees because they're our greatest asset. What's your favorite book that you recommend to the listeners? So two, and I thought about this a lot. Um, when I was beginning the company, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to sit in the basement and think of create something that doesn't even exist. And so I read a book at the time um, that's an older book, and it's called The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Hmm. Yeah. The nuggets in that book of it literally takes a mustard seed of, of, of faith in what you're doing and belief in what you're doing to change to change uh, an environment, a problem you're trying to solve, to change the world ultimately. But for me, the, the nuggets of inspiration in that book 
really helped me in the beginnings of the company. So I found that very inspiration and I still have it at my nightstand today. And the second thing, uh, I read a recent book that I loved. Uh, it's a historic book called Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And she looks at four presidents and what they did during very significant times in the history of the United, Change, uh, United States in their leadership to change the outcomes of this country. And it's a fascinating read. They talk about Lincoln, the two Roosevelt's and Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, fantastic read that shows you the skills of leadership during difficult times and how they were able to change, um, uh, you know, whether it's policies or other things in this country to move us forward. So a fascinating read. Wow. Sounds like two great recommendations. Folks, you know where to go for the show notes and links to the books, a full transcript of our discussion. Go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar, type in progeny health, and you'll find it all there. Uh, wow, this has been so interesting. I mean, uh, social determinants of health, takes a village, using tech to improve outcomes. Uh, such a great time with you, Ellie. If you can, just leave us with the closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation. Yeah, and you know, I think my closing thought would be, and so again, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your program. It's, it's a privilege really to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Um, Absolutely. And I think I would leave um, your listeners with, um, whether you're on the hospital side, the payer side, or your families, um, certainly to be um, open to, to innovative approaches to solving complex problems in healthcare. Sometimes if you're a health plan or a hospital, you're going to have a young company come to you with a great idea, but they may not be too seasoned. Give them a chance. Um, I have innovative companies coming to me at Progeny. Try and give innovation a chance. And, and if it weren't for the early adopters of the Progeny program, I wouldn't be here today. So, um, you know, my pitch is really, there's lots of entrepreneurship out there in innovation. And for companies that have the ability to contract with people, if they've got a great idea, give them a chance because they may be the change that the marketplace needs to drive complex patients to better health outcomes. Great message. And if the listeners want to continue the conversation, uh, where, where can they go visit you or, or um, you know, visit your site or, or reach out to you? So, so certainly our website is, is www.progenyhealth.com and there are links on there to connect into the company and to marketing and certainly into me. Um, there's info at progenyhealth.com. So, um, so happy to do that. And we certainly are on Twitter and, and, and have uh, our handle uh, certainly at progenyhealth.com. So uh, happy to connect with anybody interested in, in speaking with us. Love it. Ellie, really appreciate your message today and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Great. Saul, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation today.